Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast, and I'm your host, Andrew Pryor. Enchanté. Fabulously Delicious is the podcast that brings you, the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique, and we learn about it from a special guest who's an expert on that topic. My guests are all about French food. Either they cook it, they produce it, talk, write, or photograph it. But above all, they love it. Everyone enjoyed last week's episode on Auguste Escoffier so much and gave me such great feedback about it that I thought, well, I'll continue and do another one on a different chef this time. So today we are delving into the life story of the man that brought us haute cuisine, Marie-Antoine Carême. And then next week, we'll look at the life of one of France's most important female chefs. So sit back, grab a glass of wine, cheese and a baguette and enjoy the story of Marie-Antoine Carême. Marie-Antoine Carême is a French pastry chef who is often known, like Auguste Escoffier, as the king of chefs and the chef of kings. He's possibly the first person to gain the title of chef, not cook, and was one of the founders of haute cuisine. His grandiose style was sought after by both the royal courts and the nouveau riche of Paris. Anton Karen is said to be the first celebrity chef. This is his story. Born on Tuesday the 8th of June 1784 in Paris was Marie-Antoine Karen. Karen's exact day, year of birth, is up for speculation as all records relating to his birth and childhood were destroyed during the bombardment of Paris in the Franco-Prussian War. Antoine, as he would like to be called, as he was named after the Queen Marie Antoinette, and well, at the time, the royal family weren't exactly in favour, was said to be the 16th child of possibly 24 children, to parents Marie-Jean and Jean-Joubert Carême. His birth took place, he is said, in a timberyard shack at the back of a property on Rue de Bac, close to where his father worked. But it's now the site of the fabulous food department store of Paris, the Bon Marché. This area that Antoine grew up in in his early childhood was known as the slum area of Paris. And at the early age of just eight years old, it is said that Antoine was abandoned by his parents, who already had, well, 14 children at the time to look after. And his father considered Antoine to be a clever boy and one that could look after himself. After a few days of walking around the streets of Paris, Antoine found a home with an innkeeper and then found work in a Parisian restaurant as a kitchen boy in exchange for room and board. But this story is contradicted by historian Marie-Pierre Ray, who wrote that Antoine's father had placed him in an apprenticeship and not abandoned him. The French Revolution took place during Antoine's childhood and early working life. This is a time that is credited with having given birth to the restaurant. Although in France there had been taverns, or chop houses as they were known in France, Parisian restaurants only served soups, or bouillons as they were called, that fed the masses. After the revolution, cooks from regional areas and ones that had lost their jobs with aristocrats when they'd lost their heads, came to Paris and set up their own take on what would now be the restaurants we know today. 
At the age of 13, Antoine started an apprenticeship with the then famous pastry chef, Sylvain Bailey, whose patisseries were located on Rue Vivienne in the second arrondissement near the Palais Royal. The post-revolutionary Palais Royal was a high-profile, fashionable neighbourhood filled with vibrant life and bustling crowds. During the day, Antoine would work in the kitchens and then, in the evening, he'd write up notes on all the tricks and tips that he'd learnt that day. He'd also draw pictures of the meals, dishes and ingredients. And this would later be a talent that he would use to record menus he'd made as well as illustrations for future books. When Antoine was 17, he was promoted and then, whilst working for Genevis, the pastry chef at the Hotel de la Café, recognising his skills, Afis encouraged Antoine to study and draw architecture and gardens at the Imperial Library. When time came to leave Bailey, Carême opened his own shop, the Pâtisserie de la Rue de la Paix, in 1803. This ran for 10 years. Carême gained fame in Paris for his Pièce Montée, elaborate constructions used as centrepieces, which Bailey had displayed in his patisserie window. Carême made these confections, which were sometimes several feet high, entirely out of foodstuffs such as sugar, marzipan and pastry. He modelled them on temples, pyramids and ancient ruins, taking inspiration from architectural history books which he had studied. Antoine would create pieces for the French diplomat and gourmand Charles-Maurice de la Talleyrand Pellegaud, but also other members of Parisian high society, including Napoleon. Antoine would work on his convections in many private kitchens and quickly extend his culinary skills to main courses. Napoleon, whom Carême would later make a wedding cake for, was famously indifferent to food. But he understood the importance of social relations in the world of diplomacy. In 1804, he gave money to Talleyrand to purchase Chateau de Valencay, a large estate outside Paris. The chateau was intended to act as a kind of diplomatic gathering place. When Talleyrand moved there, he took Carême with him. Carême was set a test by Talleyrand to create a whole year's worth of menus without repetition and using only seasonal produce. Carême passed the test and completed his training in Talleyrand's kitchens. Talleyrand warmly encouraged Carême to create a new style of catering, more refined, with the use of fresh herbs and vegetables, as well as simplified sauces made with just a few ingredients. Talleyrand's table became internationally famous during the Congress of Vienna. The Congress not only drew a new map of Europe after Napoleon's defeat, but also outlined a change in the culinary tastes of the ruling classes. In 1808, Antoine married Henriette Sophie May de Chitonnet, the daughter of a naval officer and niece of Thomas de May de Vavres, a French aristocrat who is known for deadpanning. I see that you have made three spelling mistakes, he once said upon reading his death sentence warrant. <laughs> Antoine and Henriette separated in 1812. And then Antoine lived with Agathe de Chardet, with whom he had a daughter, Marie Agathe. Carême was never Napoleon's personal chef, 
as it has been said by many people. But instead, Karam had made dishes or creations specifically for Napoleon, like his wedding cake. And then he was contracted to make a confection for the birth of his first child, hailed as the King of Rome. So, Karam created an Italian-themed extravagant creation called a Venetian gondola. The Venetian gondola was made of confectioner's paste, masked with a sky-blue sugar icing. It was placed on a convex pedestal, four inches high in the centre and two inches round the outside, covered with white spun sugar so as to imitate the waves of the sea. The pavilion is composed of eight columns, masked with rose-coloured sugar icing, the draperies of sky-blue confectioner's paste and yellow spun sugar. The cupola, the small sail and the small pendant were all spun of sugar. The mast is masked in the same way as the gondola, and the tackle is formed with the white spun sugar. The whole thing is encircled with a border of middle-sized meringues with coarse sugar and filled with cream. The gondola too was filled with meringues, large truffles boiled in champagne, and with small casks of almond paste filled with preserves. In August or September of 1815, Karem was in charge of the kitchens at the Russian Elysee in Paris at the Centre for European Affairs. On Tuesday the 1st of August in 1815, Karem prepared an extravagant menu, his first meal for the Tsar Alexander I, which was also for 12 members of the Tsar's court, including the Tsar himself, and 24 places for princes and generals, so 36 people in total. Their dinner included 36 plates of oysters, three soups, three hors d'oeuvres, three plates of cold entrees, three gross pieces of beef a la flamade, nine hot entrees, three plates of roast with salad, including chicken and veal loin, six vegetable entremets, and finished with nine desserts, including vanilla souffles, orange meringues, and mocha coffee mousses. Let's hope they didn't have a big lunch or a breakfast beforehand. Two years later, after the fall of Napoleon, Antoine travelled to London to work in the service of the Prince Regent, the future King George IV, where he produced dinners where all the dishes were served simultaneously, which was very chic at the time. He tried to do a healthy menu for the prince and explained to him every morning the properties of each dish. Karem, the prince said to him one day, you will make me die for eating too much. I want everything you present to me and it's too many temptations in truth. My lord, replied Karem, my great business is to provoke your appetite by the variety of my service and it is not up to me to settle it. Karem first cooked for the prince at Carlton House and served meals in the Gothic Conservatory of Carlton House, which was considered an eccentric architectural folly. Here, there was a 200-foot-long table, the longest in London, and it would be embellished with a silver fountain at the head of the table and a stream running down the middle as a centrepiece, on occasion with goldfish swimming in it whilst you ate your dinner. But Karem rarely cooked meals here for the unpopular prince. He was often pelted with stones when visiting London, the prince was, with people chanting at him, Bread or the regent's head! 
A notable banquet Karem did do for the prince was at the Brighton Pavilion on Saturday the 18th of January in 1817 for the Grand Duke Nicholas of Russia. Karem created elaborate dinners for the occasion on the 14th, 16th and then the last dinner on the 18th. This last dinner consisted of eight soups, eight fish courses, 15 poultry dishes served after the fish course, eight large dishes, 40 entrees, eight pièces de monts, Karem's renowned showstopper creations, sweet and savoury, eight roasts, and 32 entremets, 16 of which were desserts. Oh, and finally, just to add a little bit of the something extra, 12 souffles and fondues. Hmm. But the English fog is said to have saddened Antoine, and he returned to France. He did not like London, where everything was dark. He was deprived of his friends and French conversation. So, in 1818, Antoine returned back to the continent and worked for the Tsar Alexander I in St. Petersburg for a brief stint. So brief, it said, that he actually never got the chance to even prepare a meal for the emperor in Russia. He then worked for Princess Catherine Bagaration, Lord Stuart, twice, then returned to Paris to work for Prince Estenhazy, a Hungarian prince who never actually showed up in Paris for Antoine to work for. And then Antoine worked for James Mayer Rothschild for four years. During his stay in Vienna in 1821, in the service of the Lord Charles Stuart, Antoine developed new sources. He published a classification of all sources into basic groups, a German source, the Bessemer source, the Spanish source, and the Velouté. This would later be the basis for Escoffier's five mother sources. Antoine was also said to be behind the replacement of the practice of service à la française, which is the service of all dishes at once, by the service à la russe, which serves each dish in the order printed on the menu. Crème published what is thought to be the first commercial cookbook, one of which, Le Cuisinaire Parisienne, or The Art of French Cuisine in the 19th Century, was done in 1828. It was a 482-page manual. Karem, influenced by the ideas of Catherine de' Medici, returned to the true values of gastronomy. Contrary to the often heavy and spicy cuisine of the time, Karem established lighter and more subtle dishes and sauces. The encyclopédiotic L'Art de la Cuisine Française, which had five volumes, of which he had completed three before his death, included, aside from hundreds of recipes, plans for menus and opulent table settings, a history of French cookery, and instructions for organising kitchens. Antoine would not only write his books, but also illustrate many of them as well, and was a keen cartoonist. It is correct that invented one of the emblematic accessories of a chef today, the toque. Before Antoine Carême, the staff working in the kitchens wore a cotton cap. Carême garnished this hat with a round of cardboard, thus making it possible to raise the fabric and dissipate the heat from the head more quickly. A concern for hygiene, but also for prestige. Since then, the toque has become the symbol of excellence of an entire profession, and it is still worn today by all the greatest cooks. 
Karem, it has been said, was the first to pipe meringue through a pastry bag, to perfect the cream puff, to melt and mould sugar-like glass. He may or may not have invented these things, but his methods were the first to be well documented. He's the first cookbook author to use the phrase, you can try this for yourself at home, and also made one-of-a-kind fanciful cakes, layered jellies, and moulded or carved structures. He invented desserts like strawberries Romanoff, coup à la crème, the croquembouche, millefeuille, and the charlotte russe. One of the last dinners Karem created was for the special guest of the Rothschilds, whom Karem charged 8,000 francs, which is around 125,000 euro a year, to occasionally do dinners for. Lady Morgan was the guest. She'd heard all the way over in the US of the Rothschilds chef and his creations, and Karem did not disappoint. Two days preparation, ill health, and cooking accidents during the prep didn't stop a seamless seven-course dinner, whose menu included 18 dishes. The likes of Le Potage Anglais de la Poisson à la Lady Morgan, Grilled Sea Bass à la L'Italienne, La Chartreuse garnished with quails. Each course had two or more options, two roasts, one chicken à la Reine and the other bacon laden pigeon. There was oranges stuffed with marble orange jellies and the piste de resistance was a Gresham-style Karem centrepiece in spun sugar of a Greek temple with rockery made from almond paste, marzipan and the temple garnished with meringues that were filled with vanilla cream and choux glaze in caramel and dipped in sugar grains with chopped pistachios. Karem would present Lady Morgan with a signed drawing he'd done of the temple creation. Here's the recipe for the nectarine plumbery that was served to Lady Morgan at the Chateau Rothschild. Reserve some perfect nectarines for garnish. Boil 15 peeled stoned nectarines with 6 ounces of sugar into a marmalade and then press through a sieve. Leave this to cool. Put the yolks of 4 eggs, a spoonful of rice flour and 3 glasses of full cream milk nearly boiling in a pan. Stir over a low heat with a wooden spoon. When it starts to thicken, remove from the heat. Stir until smooth and then let simmer very gently, stirring till it has the consistency of custard. After which, add two ounces of pounded sugar and a grain of salt. Place in a large cold pan with the cooled marmalade and set on ice. Just before serving, stir in a plateful of thickened whipped cream. Serve on a silver pedestal as a rock or in sugar-glazed volley-vent cases, or in cups made from marzipan. What a delicious-sounding recipe. Nectarine plumbery. On Saturday, the 12th of January, 1833, Marie-Antoine Carême died at the age of just 49 and was buried in the cemetery of Montmartre in a tomb that is still visited today. There are two thoughts on the possible cause of death. One is that cooking with charcoal, he inhaled large amounts of toxic fumes for years. But another hypothesis is that Antoine possibly died from complications of dental infections, maxillary cyanitis. An article published in the British Dental Journal in 2013 recalls that this 
was an occupational disease of people handling sugar at the time. He died at said poor and only leaving behind his books. But to the culinary world, he left a legacy that has shaped the world cuisine, not just French cuisine, and chefs, cooks, food lovers all around the world today are in a debt to Marie Antoine Caram. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Please share it around with your friends, family, anybody that loves French food or anybody that loves food. Next week, we're going to have the story of a fabulous female French chef who is said to be the mother of French cuisine. But until then, merci beaucoup. And as I always say, whatever you do, do it fabulously. Bon app. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.